welcome in to the Lady Vol Basketball Fever Podcast, part of Vol Basketball Fever. We're a show dedicated exclusively to talking about the Lady Vols and news around the program. Tune in to hear thoughts and discussions from experts who cover the Lady Vols on a daily basis. Now, here's a new episode of the Lady Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Everyone and welcome in to another episode of the Lady Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. I am Nathaniel Rutherford, and I'm joined once again by the great Maria Cornelius of Go Vols Two Four Seven. Maria, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast again. Good to see you, Nathaniel. Can't believe we've almost finished February. Goodness, I can't believe. Yeah, the, the my favorite time of the year, March Madness, is almost here. Uh, I can't believe February. I mean, it's the shortest month, so I guess maybe we should have anticipated it being quick. Uh, but again, thank you for coming on and thank you for all of you listening or watching. If you're on YouTube, uh, thank you all so much. If you're on YouTube, give this channel a, a subscribe and give this video a like. We'd really appreciate that. If you're listening to the podcast, again, want to thank you for listening, however you're doing it. Uh, but if you're new here, thank you so much for tuning in. Please, you can subscribe to the show on all the podcast apps of choice. We have uh, Apple Podcasts, we have Spotify, we have Google Podcasts. And actually, I haven't done this in a little bit. I wanted to hop on and, and look at the Apple podcast, because we have a new review. Uh, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review on there. And Maria, I'm trying to make a habit of people who leave us reviews, reading it at the beginning of the show. I haven't done this one yet. And it's been, sorry, this has been almost two months since I've, <laughs> since you left this one. So I'm sorry for just not getting to it. Uh, but from Meg's 1017 on Apple podcast, left a five-star review and said, this is a great UT basketball podcast and that they love the addition of the Lady Balls episodes and the guest for those. So Maria, you're a part of that. So I wanted to read that while you're on here and, and say that thank you, Megs, for leaving that really nice five-star review on Apple. So thank awesome. you for that. Yeah, no, and again, Maria, you, you're definitely part of the, the great guests on the show. <laughs> I, I like bringing on people who uh, covered the Lady Balls as, a, as, you know, as their beat because uh, you guys are very knowledgeable about the team. And speaking of which, uh, let's get into some discussion about the Lady Balls team here. Uh, since we last talked, and actually since I last an episode of the show too, uh, and some more just Maria, when this happened, I, I was immediately reminded of the conversation you and I had at the beginning of the year where you said the only thing that could torpedo this season is injuries to key players. And uh, right off the bat, you had Ray Burrell go down. Obviously she came back, but then Keen Green went down and now Jordan Horston is down. And it's just like what you said, Kim, they, they were having a great season and then injuries kind of derailed things and they're still having a good season. Don't get me wrong. But it, when you look at kind of, where things were and where they are now, it's just like, wow, this is, you know, you're making do with what you have. I, I will, I will say, I mean, personally, I was impressed, I guess would, would be how I describe it with the way they kind of responded. I guess South Carolina, I mean, that, that game, I was a little afraid of getting out of hand. It never really got to, I mean, the, South Carolina went on a, on a bit of a run in the third quarter and kind of took the lead and was able to control it from there out. But I was worried this game would be like a 20, 25 point loss, if I'm being honest. And the fact they were able to hang around and, and, you know, Keep it competitive without Jordan Horston, uh, without Keon Green, without Marta Suarez. I mean, obviously she's been out for the whole year, but I, I, I thought that game was was a good response. And then we saw them come back um, at home against Mississippi State. And whew, you want to talk about a, a controlling in the third quarter. That game was a three-point game at halftime. And then finally it looked like whatever, whatever Kelly Hopper said at halftime got through to them and they, they, they realized their defensive assignments and came alive on offense and just absolutely blew the game open in the third quarter. All leading up to the Sunday, we'll talk about this Sunday in a second. But I, I wanted to get your thoughts on just how you how you've seen this team respond 
to the injury to Jordan Horston and just, you know, on the court, but also things that, you know, Coach Harper or the players have said uh, to the media too. No, I, I agree with basically everything you, you just said. South Carolina is a game that could have gotten out of hand. I mean, a sold-out crowd, ESPN game day. Um, and Tennessee acquitted itself well. Now, obviously, the standard at Tennessee is to win, not just to acquit yourself well. But you combine that with Tennessee having to claw its way back to the top of the SEC, and that is a that is in progress, and it certainly is accelerating a little bit quicker than I thought it would, particularly this season when, I mean, ironically enough, Tennessee a big task ahead of them because LSU is ranked number eight in the country. But mm-hmm. if Tennessee beats LSU, they will tie for second in the SEC and have the number two seed. And there is a, that is a, that is a, an incredible accomplishment if they could do that. We, we'll talk about the full brackets later, but in the craziness of the SEC, you could also lose that game and tumble all the way to the fifth seed because <laughs> literally Sunday is going to sort all of this all of this out. Mm-hmm. But a lot of things have to happen for that to, to occur. But I agree wholeheartedly with what you said. That started that third quarter, uh, Tennessee just couldn't get shots to fall. South Carolina got in gear. I think they sort of settled down. It was a big crowd and a big atmosphere. I think maybe both teams kind of needed to settle a bit. And but you know, Tennessee, the the the, the credit to Tennessee is their fight didn't stop. They kept they kept going. And I mean they they South Carolina was in control of the game, but the game was never like, oh, we got this wrapped up. I mean, you just you knew that you, you had to keep keep fighting and uh keep keep holding off Tennessee. Uh I think it's clear, yeah, you know, to be without Jordan is huge. I mean, she led you in every meaningful statistical mm-hmm. category. So you cannot you cannot negate ever. Everybody says next player up. Well, when next play, when you're the player you lost leads you in points, rebounding, assists, and steals, it's that's a little bit hard to just. I mean, that's a lot of next players up. To Tennessee's credit, they the players that have not played a lot of minutes. I want to shout out Kaya Wynn. Has she has uh, found found some uh, some very good minutes for her, and she's done done something with those minutes. Kelly said she's been practicing very well, and that does tend to carry over. And I think also for Kaya, there's a confidence factor. She sees now an open door to contribute, and and that's where as a player you have to stay ready because you may things may not be going well for you personally in terms of minutes played, but when your numbers called, show them what you can do. And, and respond to that moment. So shout out to Kaya for stepping up when her moment arrived. Um, Tess Darby last night, I think five of six from the, from the, from the arc. I mean, Tess Darby could shoot like that. Tennessee's a better team because now you cannot collapse on Tamari. I mean, Tamari was Mississippi state had nobody who could guard her, but we have seen that with other smaller teams and Tennessee still struggled to get the ball inside. They did not last night. They had 27 assists on 35 made shots. Goodness. I uh, believe Jordan Walker led the way with seven. So that they Tennessee was a team that Mississippi State had could basically do one thing, shoot from the outside. They were going to struggle to get into the paint whenever Tamari was off the floor. And Tennessee faltered to close that second quarter. They went to their zone. 
but did not extend it far enough. And Kelly was not happy with it. They Mississippi State can shoot from 22, 23 feet. You can't just guard them at the arc. You got to guard them behind the arc. They got three players that can fire away from out there. And so, you know, but you could have, um, you could have folded it, not folded, but you could have like maybe, all right, this has gotten tight. And they came out and just unloaded in that third. They put that game away basically in the first, first really three or four minutes of the third quarter. So that was a long answer to say, I basically agree with everything you just said. Yeah, no, you're right, though. I mean, the, the way Tess was shooting at the three ball, five of six, a career high 17 points. She also chipped in three boards and, and two assists, to your point about everybody getting a bunch of assists. But like you said, that really opened it up for Tamari. I mean, there were multiple times where she just had a lane and was able to to do whatever. 23 and 15, I'm st- I'm still shocked that she just had six blocks. I know I saw your <laughs> I saw your reaction, Maria, on Twitter about that, the seventh one. Yeah, I, even with the seventh, like, I'm surprised she didn't get a triple double because she, I mean, it seemed like, it seemed like anytime SB State tried to do anything in the paint, she was right there to, to deny them. I mean, that that was the best Tamari key performance. I mean, and like you said, they, they weren't a big team either. Mississippi State wasn't, or a talented big team at least. And I mean, take it with a grain of salt, I guess, with that. But even still, 23 and 15 and six blocks as well. I mean, that was just a, a dominant performance. 11 of 14 from the floor for her in that game. I mean, that was just, that was a really, really, really strong performance by Tamari in that game. I, I agree. And, and towards the second half, they pretty much had learned going trying to score on Tamari Key is a bad idea. <laughs> and they took 31 threes total for the game and hit eight of them. So she did not get as many opportunities. That seventh one was a clean block. It was a volleyball spike. And the force of her hitting the ball made the player fall. And there's one official who you probably think, okay, women aren't that athletic. They can't do fancy things like that. That's why I was mad because I see some calls where they don't think the, a female player can do that. Mm-hmm. And um, it was not a foul, but you know, it, it's, it's all right. She got, she got seven and Kelly left, put, had her out to start the fourth quarter, put her back in for a little yep. while but with that kind of lead, you uh, did. Kelly didn't have her in late, and you shouldn't. She'd already turned her ankle in the first half and had to leave the court. Yeah, her and her Ray both got hurt, didn't they? At some point. Yeah, the Ray twisted her ankle in the, both in the first half, and both had to go um, go to the back area and get worked on. And the loudest, one of the loudest cheers last night was when Ray checked back in, and then Tamari checked back in. These fans are holding their breath right now with all these injuries. Uh, yeah, I don't blame them. <laughs> uh, that was, that was any, you've already lost so many people to, to injury. It's like, yeah, I don't, I'd be holding my breath too. I mean, I, I, I get, I get to watch just a little bit of the first half. I get to watch the entire second half though. So I didn't actually see the injuries. I saw people talking about on Twitter because I saw, I think you and Cora Hall both tweet about Tamari coming back onto the bench. And then obviously she came back into the game not long after that too. Uh, yeah, they can't, Tennessee can't afford any more injuries, especially not if it's a Ray Burrell or Tamari Key. Like th- those are two must haves right now for, uh, for Tennessee moving forward. But uh, speaking of moving forward and looking ahead here, you'd already talked about it some and kind of the seeding and, and how important this Sunday's game is for the Lady Balls. It's always, you know, the next game is the most important because it's the next game. In this case, not only is the, the regular season finale and, and senior night, so therefore, you know, that makes it already a really important game. Uh, it's, it's also really important because it's a very good LSU team and the winner of this game gets the two seed. Like there's no if Sands or butts about it, whoever wins this game gets the two seed because LSU is 12 and three in SEC play. Lay Vols are 11 and four. So 
ipso facto, Lady Vols win. They own the tiebreaker with the record over LSU because they won the head-to-head. If LSU wins, they just are have the better record, so they get second seed. So that is huge in itself. Lady Vols are 14-1 and at home this year, too, which is also like, I mean, I, I talked about this in, in a in a breakdown I did for the men's team for the Tennessee-Auburn game. But, Marie, it, it seems to me that it, it's not maybe as true for the, the women's game, but even looking at the women's game and, and the SEC play this year, it just seems like home court advantage has been more magnified than than in years past this year. And I, and I was speculating, like, wondering about I wonder if it was because of, you know, COVID last year and then players got used to there not being a lot of fans. But it just seems like definitely in the men's game that the home court advantage has been huge. And it seems like in the women's game, too, that it's been uh, teams that aren't as good, especially you know, looking at Lady Vols games, and Lee Ball's been on the road, those teams have played better against the Lee Balls than I thought they would. And part of that's also part of the Lady Ball's fault. But it just seems like home court has been huge for SEC teams and for college basketball at large this year. And this, I think the home court for Lee Balls in this game on Sunday, uh, it is going to be loud. It is going to be fun. It's it's going to be a, a, a just a very interesting and fun and raucous environment for that game. And like you said, tenants, Lady Balls can go anywhere from possibly getting the two seed to if they lose to possibly being the five seed because of, of, of the tiebreakers situations, how it works with Ole Miss and Florida. So it's just like, this is important, man. It's not just this game. You and I are talking before we hit record. Like there are multiple games going on at the same time that are going to determine kind of the top five. And then even looking lower, I mean, Missouri, Arkansas, and Mississippi state are all tied at, at six and nine right now. Kentucky seven and eight. Like there, there's just, they're all jumbled up except for Auburn. Like it, it, there's, there's so many seating possibilities that are going to change besides Auburn and South Carolina. We know, we know one in 14. What about uh, two through 13 though, heading into SEC, uh, the SEC tournament? It's, it's going to be an incredible Sunday. I think it gets started at noon uh, yeah. with the first game and then uh, Tennessee's at, at two o'clock. Um, it is a bizarre scenario. One LSU is a veteran team. They're the, they they are they're another team you know like Tennessee that has benefited from COVID years and you've got some veteran players out there so the environment is not going to be too big for LSU. They also set an attendance record for their own home games this year. Mm. So and and that you know I, I haven't tracked other teams, but it certainly has been a home court advantage for Tennessee. Tennessee has not lost in the SEC at home. Right. Every one of their SEC losses have has come on the road, and it may be the difference is the COVID year was so quiet, but teams at home, particularly teams like Tennessee, have a distinct home court advantage because of their fans. And other teams, when you came to Tennessee last year, it, I mean, the fa- 2,000 fans were there. It, it it was not what you would call a hostile environment by any means. I mean, the ba- the Rocky Top was piped in. There was no band. You look around, and there's cutouts staring back at you, and fans scattered around, you know, like like they're, you know, a little pocket here and a little pocket there. So you do, and now that your fans are back down on the floor, they're right, they're right there again. So I don't know if that's been a factor for home teams that 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 players have are have spent a year not playing in hostile environments on the road had some kind of factor. But um, Tennessee, despite all of these injuries, Marcus Suarez lost to the preseason. Ray Burrell, 12, 12, lost in the season opener, lost in the first half of the season opener, twelve games. And you can look at her and see she's not fully comfortable yet. 
She's not she's not the Ray Burrell she was going in preseason. That that explosiveness, the I mean, she was just at a, another level in the practices I saw. Mm-hmm. And I mean, she's she's rehabbed and and you know healed from the injury, but there's still anytime you have a knee injury, there, there's other issues with that because sometimes even as you play, you start to compensate with your other leg, or that leg is not quite quite back yet. You can tell in her lift sometimes of her shots that she's not 100% the race she was when the season started. Now, can she fully get there? Absolutely. Yes. I mean, she's certainly got a fantastic pro career ahead of her, Yeah. but, but she, this is not the player with the same explosiveness in October that she had in October and no, early November that you see now. And, but I will say, if you just look at the box score, I think she was a uh, four or 15, and thought, well, okay, she struggled from the field. She got really good shots. I swear that she got some that rolled out. I, there was not a shot she took that I thought was a was a bad shot. They were all makeable shots. So you, know, I don't, I know you don't get confidence from that as a player, but she just couldn't catch a break with the, with shots rolling out. So I think Ray took good shots. They just didn't fall, and that should not not discourage her. Ray also had five assists, and and Kelly was making a point that we need every we need to move the ball. The you know ten, the ball for Tennessee cannot get stuck in anybody's hands. Cannot over dribble. That's when things start to break down for Tennessee. The ball has got to keep moving. Go through Tamari, and Tamari's an outstanding passer. She will mm-hmm. find open players on the wing for for a shot. So they they uh, I think that that was a good game for them. Kelly, you know, she wasn't you know saying she expected that kind of outcome because you just don't win games going away in the SEC. That's been very rare this year. But she thought they were in a good place after South Carolina emotionally. That they had, re- they knew they could compete. They they had adjusted to losing Jordan. Now, I'm not saying you really adjust to losing Jordan and that what she can do, but you adjust to having to play without her. And they they've made that 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 step. And then senior days to me are always interesting. One, you're highly mo- motivated. It's also highly emotional. I have seen teams come out and they just can't get settle down emotionally to start the game. Now, the good thing for Tennessee is the three seniors who are departing, you know, Kean Green, obviously injured, would not play. Ray Burrell, veteran player. Uh, Alexis Dye, veteran player. These are not players that are suddenly going to be thrust into the starting lineup or have not been accustomed to this. They're used to being on the floor at tip. So they do have that going for them. And then, of course, Jordan Walker, as we talked about, has just announced on Twitter she's going to run it back, come back for one more year. She has that extra COVID year. She's taking it. She's working on her MBA, and I applaud her. Get that degree while you're here in college. Why? Because if you leave, then you got to come back and finish. Go ahead and get it. Get it while you're in the flow of college, in the flow of class, in the flow of studying before real life. And all those obligations start to catch up with you. Get it done. Plus, she's she's a veteran player with a lot of minutes logged and uh, you know an asset for Tennessee. So, so back to senior day. I mean, it. I've seen a lot of emotions. Yeah, the pregame is different because mm-hmm. of, you know the you're doing the presentations and the jerseys in the frame and the flowers and the and then you got to put all that aside and somehow get ready to play basketball. LSU is a very good team. 
Uh, a very confident team in the way they've turned it around this season. Uh, Kim Mulkey, everybody knows Kim Mulkey. I mean, they didn't hire go out and hire a new coach that was adjusting to the SEC. Kim Mulkey is, yeah. and although not coached in the SEC, has played plenty of SEC teams and has a, a lot of experience as, as a coach and has, has won um, like three national titles, I think. I think I've got that right. I don't want to cheat I them. I think you're right. Yeah, three. Three national <laughs> yeah. titles, yes. This is going to be a gut check game for everybody. LSU has a lot to play for. I mean, yeah. they were predicted to finish, I don't know, way down in the SEC somewhere. They got a, I mean, I preseason, they were like mid yeah. or low pack. I mean, people weren't, I don't remember where I voted them. Uh, I don't think anybody had Ole Miss and Florida competing for a top four seed no. when the season started, which just goes to show you how crazy the SEC is. But LSU has a lot to play for at postseason seeding, not just SEC, but NCAA in a game like this. Mm-hmm. So they're they're wanting to earn that second second place outright, not have to share it with anybody. And Tennessee is wanting to say, all right, everybody was starting to count us out. You know, we lose Beret, we lose Kean, we we go, we lose some games on the road. Jordan goes out. They can, like you said, they can win win that game. They finish with an identical identical record and. Suddenly, uh, you've got a tie for second. Tennessee wins head-to-head. Tennessee's number two seed in the SEC tournament. Here's the wrinkle, and there always is one. I've always said you're, you're seeding in the – except South Carolina. I mean, they've clinched. They only had one loss to Missouri to open the SEC, and since then they've rattled off 14 straight wins mm-hmm. in the SEC. So here's the weird wrinkle. In senior days, you always keep an eye on. It is Ole Miss's senior day. South Carolina is on the road. They've clinched the SEC. They're still the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament. If there was ever a time to catch a team not as fully motivated as you might be, I'm not saying they can't, they aren't motivated to win. Yeah. But you, the things that matter in the SEC regular season, you've accomplished. Win or lose doesn't change anything for you with the SEC. You're still the champion, you're still the number one seed. So, I mean, they, they tip at the same time as Tennessee. So I'm sure Media Row will be watching. The coaches, oh, yeah. you know, I mean, unless they get updates. But if Tennessee were to lose to LSU and Ole Miss were to beat South Carolina and Florida, Florida, which is having its senior day hosting Missouri, were to beat Missouri, you have a three-way tie for third place. And you do the tiebreakers first, and those don't settle anything. They all went one and one. You do tiebreakers among the three of them, and they all went one and one against each other in various combinations. So that does nothing. Then you go to how they fared against the number one seed. That's South Carolina. Only Ole Miss would have would have been the one to beat South Carolina. Yep. So Ole Miss would end up with the third seed. Florida would take the fourth seed. Because they they won the head to head against Tennessee. Here is where everything went crazy, and I did my my bracket thing, figuring Tennessee could finish no lower than fourth, mm-hmm. because I did not do. I was messing around with a legal pad and pen, pencil the other night. I did not have, and I should have. I should know better. And that's SEC. I did not have Vanderbilt beating Florida. This is what set all this up. Mm-hmm. Once again, that was Vandy's senior game. And they 
I mean, it was a close game. They I, they led from the beginning. I think Florida took an early lead, and then our, our Florida had a one point lead late. I think I think Vanderbilt took an early lead. Nothing nothing outrageous. It was like five, six, seven points. It was, and then it was a one, two, three point game at the end. And uh, turnovers is what jumped out. I, I, both teams had a ton. Florida yeah. had twenty eight. Uh, Vandy had twenty one. So that mm-hmm. that game, yeah. So. I mean, is it likely that South Carolina would lose to Ole Miss? Absolutely not. Does Tennessee want to rely on another team for its seeding? Heck no. no. For If you're Tennessee, you got tunnel vision. Beat LSU, you're the number two seed. That, that's all you have, to, you have to worry about because those other games are going to be going on at the same time. Nothing's going to be settled when you take the court. So you have just got to keep yourself laser focused on, on LSU. And it will be a heck of a LSU-Tennessee games are epic no matter what. They tend to come down to last shots. They tend to have bodies all over the floor. They, they LSU-Tennessee games tend to be brawls. And I don't mean that literally like, you know, there's a fight on the court. But it, they are hot. Everything is contested. Every shot, every rebound. There Nothing comes easy when Tennessee and LSU hit the court. Nothing. No, and like you said, this LSU team, number eight in the country, they're playing for – they're playing for obviously you know the number two seed in the in the SEC tournament, but they're playing for like you said a lot of stuff postseason, even beyond the the SEC tournament. They're playing for a potential two seed in the NCAA tournament. Even I mean they're they're playing for a lot um, in this game. And you're right, like look, looking at the history of these two teams, and I guess more what's happened recently. LSU won and, and you know Lady Vols won last year by one point. <laughs> LSU won the year before that by ten. Lady Vols won the year before that by five. It was a three-point game and a nine-point game. So it's been it's been really close over the last five years, or I guess five or six beatings between the two teams because they played. God, they played so many times in the last just like three seasons. They played in in uh, in the SEC tournament once. They played in Baton Rouge twice. They played in Knoxville twice. So I mean, they, they've played just a lot in the last uh, three or four seasons. So it, and it's been close, like you said. They've, they've been a lot of just brawls and a lot of uh, really close contests in those games. Uh, you brought up two different things I wanted to touch on. Um, one of them was Jordan Walker coming back. I, I want to get to her secondly. But the first one I want to talk about, you, you mentioned it being um, senior night for Lady Vols. And I, I imagine, you know, Keen Green, even with her having the injury, she is, you know, this is her, she's done. This is her last go around. This is her, this will be her actual senior night where she's, where she's being honored and stuff. Same for Alexis Dye. Uh, I don't, I'm pretty sure she doesn't have any more eligibility left. No, this was her fifth year. She, yeah, she has not none left. Yeah. But we have Jordan Walker who knows that, you know, she's coming back, even though she's a grad, she was a grad uh, graduate. She is coming back for next year. The only other senior that I'm looking at and seeing on the roster is listed at least is Ray Burrell. I imagine though that she has, you know, the COVID year. I imagine with the year that she's had and the injury she's had, she's more, I don't I haven't heard an announcement on if you have or not. I, maybe I just missed it, but I imagine she's coming back next season. No, she's made it clear. She's ready to go. Okay. She, Never mind. She's ready to pursue. She, she hasn't said that in so many words, but she mm-hmm. said it in so many words. I mean, she, I don't know that she's done an interview where, where she said, I am, I don't know. She, she made it clear from the, at the beginning of the season, she did not, she was not interested in a fifth year. She's ready for the next stage of her life. She's ready to start her pro career and where she'll get drafted. I don't know. Did the injury hurt her falling as far as falling lower than people had her as, you know, top five, top six, mm-hmm. top seven seed. It very well could, but she still, people, 
she has such an upside and scouts know what she can do. I mean, they saw her last year. So she, she will be a player that will be playing at the next level. And then obviously overseas opportunities are, are where tremendous money exists too. And then you yeah. have this new athletes unlimited mm-hmm. where they've been playing in, in Vegas that, uh, that a lot, the players are putting that on. So Ray strikes me as a, is a, a young lady who knows this is what I want in life and it's time to go get it. So I, I do believe fair. those those will be the three that I would expect to do the whole flowers and parents and frame jerseys and you know highlight films and uh and uh you know just just obviously a great three. I mean Alexis Die, what what a great player. I wish she had more eligibility, but but she does not. Yeah, she's been really, really solid for the Balls this year and has given them a, it, along with Tamari Key and Jordan Horston and Bray Borelli even too, like just another great rebounding option and as a as a kind of a, a I guess like a hybrid guard forward is what she is. But um no, I, I like Alexis Dye. She's been she's been a nice solid addition for the Lady Vols. And and I guess this is technically not really an addition, but it is an addition for next year with Jordan Walker. You already brought it up with her announcing she's coming back next year, which she just announced that like shortly before we started recording this podcast uh, here on Friday night. What's the impact of her coming back next season? Because I, I looked at, you know, with her when it was originally slated where she was going to gra- you know, graduate and be done. I was looking ahead the next season thinking, wow, that's uh, you're going to have to rely on a young player to be the point guard next season. Or you're, you're just going to hand it off to Jordan Horston and say, hey, you know, we're going to need you to run point next year along with everything else. I, I was very interested to see, like, where are they going to go with point guard? I, I I think personally it's huge for Jordan Walker to come back. And I think that's, you know, an obvious answer. But I think with her being a veteran presence, with her being just a, a very solid just point guard in general, she can score, but she's also very good at distributing the ball. She just has that veteran savvy about her too at that point guard position. I think it's big for a number of reasons. You don't have to you know, kind of make Jordan Horst and play out of position more or less, uh, you know, for what you want her to do. You don't have to, don't have to rely on one of your younger players who'd be, you know, a second year player to, you know, come in and, and try to be filling that role. And you don't have to, you don't have to go get a transfer to come in and be a new player and try to take over that position. You have someone who's been here for a couple of years at this point now and who has performed really well when she's been healthy. So um, I, I think it was, you know, the announcement could not have come at a better time because, you know, we're heading to senior day, like you said, and, you know, it's good to know beforehand that she's she's going to be rec- coming back. But I think it's just, to me, it makes me feel a lot better about next year's team and just kind of how that, that can steady the boat next year for them with her coming back and being the, you know, the projected starting point guard for them next year, too, as long as she's healthy. It, it's an interesting dynamic. One, I, 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 this is just me spitballing, as they say. I haven't. You know, I will interview Kelly like April or May after the season's over, you know, June, just some kind of recap of the season and looking ahead. So I know Kelly's probably not even thinking about, okay, what she's thinking about LSU, not who's going to play where. Yeah. Next fall. I I don't, Jordan Horston can play the point, but Mm -hmm. I think they would much prefer Jordan off the ball, particularly her ability to rebound and get to the offensive glass. She is yeah. such an outstanding rebounder and slasher. Uh, you Jordan can just do – Jordan can set up at the two, three, and four sometimes. So the interesting thing about Jordan Walker is she was a two-guard in, in college. She was a point wow. guard in high school but played two-guard at Central Michigan. Tennessee brought her in late. She, uh, she transferred late. It was a, in July and she had two years because of injury. She tore ACL. She had two years of eligibility when she got to Tennessee. 
So she was a, a typical graduate transfer in that, yes, she was, she had earned her bachelor's degree in three years, but she still had two years left because she had missed a full season. And it worked out where she and Jordan Horston were splitting time at, at point. Because remember, Tennessee lost Zagreen and Jasmine Massengill, right, you know, after Kelly got hired. Those were yep. two in the transfer portal. And then Mimi Collins, of course. Um, Jasmine Massengill was the following year. She played one year for Kelly. But after Kelly arrived, Avina Westbrook was out. Zay Green tore her ACL, what, three games into the season? Yeah, I remember that happening. And that that moved uh that moved uh Horston to point, um Jasmine to point. And so then Kelly is entering her second year thinking Jasmine's gonna come back at point. She transfers to Kentucky. And I remember looking at the roster and later talking to Jordan is for an interview later. And I said, when that happened, she says, Yeah, I looked at the roster and said, Oh my goodness, I'm I'm PG one. <laughs> and she was not re- she was recruited by Tennessee really to play wing forward. Not that she cannot play point. Uh, at USA basketball when she won the gold medal with the, I think it was under under eighteens, under nineteens. I never can keep up if it was under seventeens, eighteen, nineteen. One of those groups. It was an under group. It may have been under under seventeen, may or eighteen. Don't even quote me on that. It was a USA under team. She played the four for them. So because wow. she's six two. So yeah. and so now Kelly is looking for a point guard in the portal and and Jordan Walker pops in in July of uh, 2019. Uh, 19, yeah, mm-hmm. 1920, 2021. No, it would have been July 20. Yeah. Yes. During the pandemic. Yes. Because she never visited campus. She met uh, Kelly in person when she got here and knew she had played point in, in high school and knew she could be a combo guard. So then brought brought uh, Jordan Walker in. It is possible. I mean, Jordan, everything you said is correct. Veteran presence plays hard, understands. I mean, you know, def, uh, tenacious on defense, a, a, a high motor, high energy kind of player. She she's not she does not have to stay at point right, to contribute yeah. to Tennessee. If you last night. Obviously, Brooklyn Miles is uh, is another point guard that Tennessee has been working with this season. And then last night, Kaya Wynn ran the point position at, at times. So what I think Kelly is trying to do is have options at that position. And that brings me to the other point at the Mississippi State game, Minnesota transfer point guard Jasmine Powell was on an official visit. And since she's in the portal, she can take an official visit. You know, t- Tennessee pays for the visit so they can have 48 hours and have a real visit. I mean, the right. game and stay on campus and, and see things. And so Tennessee, I, I don't know what she's going to do. What her, I mean, that, that's, you know, you never know. The transport portal, that doesn't mean Tennessee gets a player on campus. They're going to come here. Right. But that could be an even bigger wrinkle in this whole point guard puzzle. If uh, Jasmine Powell were to pick Tennessee, and she is um she is a tenacious defender, absolutely. I mean, on ball defender that just sticks to you when you get off the bus. So, you know, in the SEC, you need guards. Kelly Harbor player. (laughs) You need guards like that, and she's she has a tremendous experience at point guard. Uh, Passes well in transition. She can she can shoot, uh, distribute the ball. uh, So. So Tennessee could, I mean, Tennessee could have a, and you see times even now when Kelly's got two, two point guards on the floor 
to one, yep. you know, they, where they interchange. So there's that wrinkle at point. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to run the numbers. Tennessee's got 14 players. And we know three or three would 14 players right now, counting the injured players like uh, Marta. Mm-hmm. So it three will graduate. So you're down to 11. Justine Passat is your one signee that puts it at 12. Tess Darby's sister, Edie Darby, is a walk-on, uh, but that still counts towards your 15 total. So you've got 13. Technically, you've got two spots. And I always say this, I, I don't know of any player transferring from Tennessee at the end of the year, but at the, in this day and age, I am more surprised when it does not happen. Because with the transfer portal, it's a whole different thing. So I, Tennessee could have all 11 returnees come back or, or not. You just, you never know. I always tell people, I, I never saw Jasmine. I didn't think Jasmine Massengill would leave. She decided to go to Kentucky. So never anticipate that your roster won't look different. And I'm not, like I said, I'm not hinting that anybody is. I have heard nothing about anybody leaving, just that I'm not surprised when it does happen at, at this point anymore. You used to be a player left the team. You were kind of surprised. Yep. And now it's like, oh, they're in the portal. I mean, Tennessee's recruiting two players in the portal right now. And Jasmine Powell. And of course, we talked about this. A very big visitor will be here Sunday for the LSU game and Rakia Jackson, a 6'2 wing who also can play three and four, who transferred from Mississippi State in January and was the leading scorer in the SEC at over 20 points per game when she uh, left the team where she has returned to Detroit, uh, keep in one of the low lowest of the low-key recruitments I've ever tried to track. She says nothing on social media, nothing. She doesn't put up photos or retweet thing. I mean, nothing. She did. And that's also the difference between a 16-year-old high school kid and a 20-year-old college kid. You know, they've been through the recruiting process. They're, they're not looking for all of that again. Um, she would technically have two years, but a player like her, that's a probably a top three, top four draft pick. So you would look for one more year in college and, and then be ready to go. Uh, for Tennessee to get her on campus, that's huge. Absolutely huge. Uh, yeah. I do want to point out one thing, uh, the ball out. They're at theballout.com. They broke the story for, first uh, this morning, mid, right before midday, about Rakia Jackson being here. It is, go, it's on theballout.com, and it's an excellent story. It talks about Harper, what she's doing at Tennessee, the emergence of Tennessee back into a national power, and how a player like Rakia Jackson is the difference between – Sweet 16 and Elite Eight and, and Final Four. So go, go they're on Twitter at, at the ball out or the ball out media and then they're on the ballout.com. So head over there if you if you want to see that. And I mean that that would that she's a game changer. I mean she's she's a seasoned SEC player. She visited here. Ironically, she visited she was class of 2019. She visited Tennessee. She was a big time target that Holly wanted. Ended up going to Mississippi State. She's had three coaches at Mississippi State, Vic Schaefer, then Nikki McCray-Pinson, and now Doug Novak. So she's, she's three seasons in college, three different head coaches, and I think she's looking for a different culture, a different environment. A, a, I mean, nobody can say she didn't give Mississippi State a chance. She gave it a uh-huh. chance to three different coaches. And um, ironically, the official visit, she took it – 
she was here on the same weekend that Jordan Horston was out of high school. Hmm. They took they they Zaya Cook who went to South Carolina. All three of them visited Tennessee on the same same day, same weekend back in uh, 2018 because they would have still been at seniors in high school. So it's not like she's not already familiar with Tennessee. Obviously, not familiar with this coaching staff. Hmm. Minus the fact, and, and you know how women's basketball recruiting is, the, the tentacles overlap everywhere. When she was in high school, Samantha Williams was the lead recruiter at Louisville. Hmm and recruited her to Louisville. So she would have already established a fantastic relationship because Louisville was in her final list. So she already knows Samantha Williams. She's obviously gotten to know Kelly. She already knows Jordan Horston. It's not like she's coming in without any idea what Tennessee's like. Or again, does that, does that mean she's coming here? No. I mean, she hasn't said anything. And yeah. she, can, she, she will have her pick of schools. I guarantee you when she in, entered that portal – her phone likely just exploded. Oh, I mean, yeah. probably one, one – I'd say she probably got in excess of 100 or 200 inquiries probably in the first 24 hours. Yeah, she's going to be – well, I mean, she is not going to be. She is probably the most sought-after transfer. And one of the most sought-after transfers probably in the last couple of years uh, in, in the women's game because, like you said, like she's a game-changer. She's uh leading scorer. She's really efficient. She can rebound some too. Like she's a – she's just a – I was looking at her stats too because I, I remember her playing at Mississippi State, but I was just wanting to look at her stats. Like she's just, like you said, she she could be the difference between you know making the tournament and making a little bit of a run to making the tournament and uh, possibly going deep into the tournament. And really, I mean, the Jasmine Powell is interesting too. Like I, I I thought she she can be an interesting addition as even as a smaller guard. She's someone who um, actually rebounds the ball a lot better than I expected her to. I think she's only like what five. She's listed at five six. I think. Yeah, and she this past year, actually her entire Minnesota career uh, for the 68 games she played, averaged almost 13 points and averaged almost four rebounds a game and a, and four and a half assists. And of course, um, some of that was you know her, her freshman year where she averaged 12.1 and a 3.1 assists. You look at the last couple of years, her her sophomore year at Minnesota was 14 and a half points, four and a half rebounds, five and a half assists, and one and a half steals. Um, that's pretty good. <laughs> that I, like you said that 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 kind of tenacity on defense just looking even at the stats and i looking at like you know watching her film and things um i think that would fit really well with kelly harper and you know just the the attitude and the the tenacity she wants to bring every single game from her players uh, and the lady of all way but she's also not a bad shooter like 30 32 31 percent from three uh 77 77 to 75 percent on the free throw line please this lady of all's team uh, needs needs someone like that from the free throw line um, I, I think, you know, I was going to ask you, you kind of already had mentioned, you know, don't have a whole lot of intel on them because for one, uh, Rakia doesn't talk to the media much, but I, I was going to ask if you had like a feel on either of them, but it seems like, you know, it's a little early to, to really tell, but yeah, you're right. Like this team anymore, it is shocking if you don't have at least one or two transfers often. And like you said, you know, I, I'm not saying anyone needs to transfer or anything like that, but it would not, sh- it would not shock me at all if someone transfers off the roster because of any number of reasons want to go closer to home. They're not happy playing time or, or whatever. Like it, it doesn't just because someone transferred doesn't mean that the culture is bad or that they're on, you know, fall out from the, from the team either. So I think sometimes people will assume that like, Oh, they're transferring that, you know, what happened? Were they unhappy? You know, it's, was there a fallout? That's not always the case. There's, there's lots of reasons why players transfer. So, and, and lady balls, we've talked about it on this podcast before you and me specifically, Maria, they've, they've had some pretty decent luck with transfers. I mean, look at Jordan Walker's a transfer. Alexis Dye is a transfer. Uh, Keegan Green's a transfer. Like, and, and those are 
three players who have had a huge impact on the team this year, um, starting or just coming off the bench or in, in Kean's uh, case is there as well. Um, but I mean, next year's team could be just, I wouldn't say just as heavily reliant. Cause it's not like the team is heavily reliant, but relying on the same kind of degree of heaviness, I guess on transfers as this year's team was where you have three playing key spots and next year you could have technically Jordan Walker would still be a transfer, but I mean, she also would have been here for three years too. So it feels weird counting her as a transfer anymore. But you'd have her and potentially two others. And then, like you said, Justine Pissot coming in. And then you'd also have the freshman this year being sophomores next year. And that, that that's really, what I think, what makes me excited and intrigues me about next year's team, too, is I won't get to have ourselves talk about next year. But looking at those those young players like Kaya and Brooklyn and Carolyn and Sarah, all, all, all four of them being sophomores, especially Sarah Puckett, she has really impressed me this year with her play. And I, I love her attitude on the court um, and, and, and uh, Brooklyn too. But I mean, all those, all those girls becoming, you know, sophomores next year and second year players next year's team. That's, that's going to be interesting. Next year's team, I think is a transfer or two, like a, a really big impact transfer or two away from really taking another step. Not, you know, I'm not saying final four worthy or maybe even elite eight worthy, but, but taking another step and staying healthy, like cross your fingers, staying healthy to, you know, to taking that, I guess that next, the next feasible step for the lay balls of, of whatever they do this year, taking, you know, furthering that next year. I agree. And, and while the roster, you know, could be kind of, kind of lengthy, Kelly has certainly shown that she will play, she will play deep in her roster. Oh yeah. So it's not like she's going to ride six players and, you know, seven and the rest are going to play, you know, a minute. I mean, Kelly will find minutes, uh, for for players as as the season goes on, and and the good thing about where Tennessee is trending now, and this is a benefit not just to Tennessee but to the players themselves. For the last several years, this year being an exception, Tennessee has had started freshmen because they had to. We're like Renaya Davis started as a freshman, and she even said it might have been better if I'd come into a veteran team where I wasn't just thrown out there from the get-go. Mm-hmm. That's not always fair. They're getting a lot of minutes, but they don't have anybody to teach them, and, and they don't really have an upperclassman to learn from. And Tennessee is now getting – I mean, look at the senior class next year. They're getting back to where they have veteran players – who can teach the ones coming up and the freshmen can compete for time and get on the court. And if you're good enough to start then by all means start, but you're not starting because you have to. And, and that can be a disservice sometimes to freshmen to have to push them out there so quickly because the SEC is a brutal, brutal classroom to learn on the fly. It yeah. really, it really is. It's far better if you can learn, and, you know, in chunks of the syllabus, not here's the whole syllabus, go, you know, good luck. So it'll be interesting to see that in terms in terms of how extensive, you know, how deep the roster could be with injuries. It, I mean, you might, you've got to have available players. I mean, Kelly has always said, I want to play my backups because I never know when I'm going to need them. Yeah. And she needs them. And with COVID, she said, you sure. never knew. So I don't have, I mean, the visit yesterday went well. I mean, you, you know, you can see the recruit there, you know, where they sit. I mean, I've I've rarely heard a visit didn't go well. There's been like two in the whole time I've covered this where I heard that the visit was horrible. I'm like, okay, we can cross that one off. So it's, it's rare that it's not a good visit. 
Um, yeah. And she's another player that will have options. She was all freshman at, in the Big Ten. She was second team Big Ten, all Big Ten as a, as a sophomore. Um, and you got to think, you know, the Maryland's in the Big Ten and Rutgers, Michigan, Michigan State, Indiana. I mean, there's some very good teams in the Big Ten. So it's mm-hmm. not like she was making all-conference team and, you know, a conference that you, you know, wasn't uh, power five. Not that, I mean, Alexis Dye was, you know, she was in, not in a power five conference, but she certainly showed she could play in one. So it'll. Be, I don't know what either one's going to do. Obviously, Rakia, let's see, game is uh, – She's probably what is it Friday? She's probably already here because she yeah, would probably. be a, like a Friday to probably both of the players. Interestingly enough, this turns out you know kind of coincidental. They're both from Detroit. Hmm. They didn't play together. They mm-hmm. didn't play on the same uh, same high school team, but they obviously know each other. You know how you know people and in, in your and both were you know really you know good recruits. So in their high school classes, so. It, it'll be it'll be interesting. I mean, the good thing for Tennessee is you are getting these players here. I mean, that's step one. You got to get them on campus. Yep. Absolutely. And once once you get them on campus, you've got a good shot. I mean, is Tennessee in it? Absolutely. Does that mean they're going to get them? Absolutely not. I mean, it's not like they're the only school in pursuit. So. Yeah. You took words around my mouth. I was going to say, if you get them on campus, anything can happen. That that's the old adage, and it's but it's true though. It's very true. Uh, but Maria, I think that that's a good place to kind of end it. Again, big game coming up on, on Sunday. We'll know all about the SEC seating and stuff uh, when it after Sunday. We'll we'll know. And we'll we'll tweet out stuff on at Vol Hoops Fever, and of course Maria will tweet out everything. But I, for all of you listening, if you want to look at that report from the the Ball Out Media, uh, we just retweeted it from the Vol Hoops Fever Twitter account, just at Vol Hoops Fever, and Maria also tweeted about tweeted about it uh, earlier today as well. So go check it out there if you want to. Uh, but Maria, before we let you go here. Again, thank you so much for coming on tonight. Uh, let everybody know, that I, I assume, again, everyone listening to this probably already follows you and reads your stuff, but just in case they don't, where can they find you and where can they read your stuff? At M.M. Cornelius on Twitter. I also have a Lady Vols coverage Facebook page. You can find me searching probably my name and Lady Vols. Uh, Instagram is the same, M.M. Cornelius. I put up a lot of pregame photos there. Uh, Go Vols 247 is where I, I put up stories. They also, I, I never know when we're doing these, but we're doing one now through February 28th. There is a 50% off special for annual subscribers. It also includes, it's a, I'm not, it's a 50% off would put it well under a hundred dollars. I'm not sure what it would put it. They even put it like in the 50 or 60 range or somewhere in there. I'd have to go look. Because mm-hmm. um, when I click on it, I'm already in it, so it doesn't tell me the price. But you get with that, with if you do that annual, you get Paramount Plus uh, free. It's a $99 value, and you can activate that account and have that free for as long as you're an annual subscriber. And there's a lot of content, sports, uh, SEC Game of the Week, things like that are, are on, on that, sports, movies, TV. Hmm. So if you go to GoVols247.com, it's right up there, top of the page, 50% off. So just let people know. It's a it's good time to lock in because if you get in now, it'll take you all the way through postseason and and baseball and softball and summer and SEC media days and fall and next thing you know, it's basketball season again and football, of course, kind of a big deal around here. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit, just a little bit. So it's basketball though. I mean, basketball's gotten even bigger uh, over the last ten fifteen years for for both the men's and women's. And it, it, it's nice to hopefully see Lady Vols back on the rise and hopefully that coinciding with kind of the reawakening of just the Vol fan base being rabid for winners. So hopefully that, that'll, they'll feed into that. But 
Thank you so much for you know, Maria for coming on here, and, and thank you again for all of you who are listening slash watching this podcast. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel, subscribe to our podcast, and as I mentioned at the top, leave a review and we'll read it here on the show. Hopefully, I will not wait another almost two months to read it. If you all leave one again, uh, thank you again, Megs, for that that nice review. Uh, and again, thank you all of you for who've listened and helped support the show. We're getting March. We're getting to the the premier time for basketball, so we're here for you to talk about all Vols and Lady Vols through March Madness. But Sonic. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. One other quick thing is Lady Vol fans will kill me if I forget. Mickey Deerstone, the voice yes, of the Lady Vols, uh-huh. is retiring at the end of this season. His final regular season home game will be Sunday in Knoxville, 2 o'clock. Tickets are available. If you can get there, you live in this area or drivable, get there. A, a huge, loud, rowdy crowd would be very, very good for Tennessee Sunday. And what a send-off for Mickey. He's going to be honored along with the seniors. He's already said he's going to be a basket case. He's going to be balling the whole way through it. But knowing he, Mickey, he's a pro. He'll get right back on the radio and, and do his job. He will be with the team through postseason. But that is the end of an incredible era for, in Lady Vols. I mean, he is he's one of the best play-by-play people I've ever heard. He's funny. He's witty. He, he calls the action impeccably. I mean, just he's going to be missed. Those are talk about big shoes to fill behind Pat Summit. It's going to be huge shoes to fill behind Mickey Deerstone. So I just wanted to shout him out before we, uh, before we ended it tonight. Yeah. Thank you. I, I meant to bring that up earlier and it completely slipped my mind. So yes, thank you for mentioning uh, Mickey here at the end of the, the podcast and the show. I, I will be there on Sunday, barring any sort of illness or <laughs> horrible weather or something. I, I'm going to be there Sunday. So I will try to lend my voice to, help make the crowd nice and loud for the LSU game. And also, you said, give Mickey a nice send off. Cause he's been there. He's been doing this for over 20 years, over two decades uh, of Lady Vol stuff. And, and just, I mean, he's been with, I mean, he, he's done stuff for Tennessee longer than that, but for specifically Lady Vols has been over two decades. So uh, he's been the voice of the Lady Vols for a very long time. And, and like you said, does a very good job of it and provides a really nice color and detail to these games. So yes, definitely. If you're going to go, uh, like you said, Definitely send Mickey Deerstone off with a great send off and Thompson Bowling because hopefully he won't. This won't be his last game for a, a long time. Hopefully he's going to be out, out there calling another seven, eight, nine games for the Lenny Falls in the SCC tournament and NCAA tournament. That'd be uh, very nice. But yeah, definitely a uh, big shout out to Mickey Deerstone and, and, and him stepping down. But thank you, Maria, again for coming on here and thank you for saying that as well. And again, thank you for our listeners. Signing off for Maria, I'm Nathaniel, and this has been another episode of the Lady Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. <laughs>